I want to invite your hearts and summon your intellect to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verses 21 through 23. The text might seem like it's out of context in light of this being the last Sunday of the year and especially in light of our Christmas celebration just a few days ago where we acknowledge the birth, the advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But after we read it, you will see that it fits perfectly for the last Sunday of the year and in light that we are post-celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 27, verses 21 through 23. The governor answered and said to them, the Jews, if you don't mind, can you stand with me? God bless your sister for reminding me. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two, between Jesus and Barabbas, do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. If I can go back to Pilate's question one more time, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? You may be seated. Well, here we are again. It's December 29th, four days after the celebration and acknowledgement of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So now what do we do? When all the Christmas, de- Christmas decorations have been taken down, when the Christmas trees have been laid outside against the curb for pickup, when the lights stop flashing and we roll them back up and put them in the boxes and store them in the attic space, when all the gift wrap has been thrown into the trash dumpster, when all of the company, family and friends have gone home, thanks be to God. (laughs) When you've eaten (laughs) the last turkey and ham sandwiches that you can eat, when the Christmas music is unplugged and it stops playing. When we take down our nativity scenes, we put Mary and Joseph, the wise men, and the shepherds, and the baby Jesus in the manger back in the box until next year. And we have to go back to work when it's all over. Then we have to deal with the reality and the question Now, what do we do with Jesus? Pilate asked the Jews that question. So, so what do y'all want me to do with him? I'm washing my hands 
of the decision. What do y'all want me to do with them? And they said, crucify him. Put him back in the box. Store him in the attic. Put him in the basement in the cellar. Set him by the curb. Dump him in the dumpster. Because we're done with him. Whatever you do, just get rid of him. Because we don't need him. Crucify him. It seems like a stark and a harsh answer and response. But it's what we commonly get every day in our thought, attitude, and behavior towards Christ. One of the reasons why I think Christ is so mishandled, so neglected, why he is taken so casually or lightly, or why he is so opposed, is because I believe that many folk, if not most folk, really don't know just who Jesus really is. Whether that be out of ignorance or whether it be intentional, that they really don't want to know who he is. So the first place I, I want to start as we we try to answer this question, so now what do I do with Jesus? Let's start with the question, well, who is Jesus? <laughs> if, if, if the great part and the heart of why he's so neglected, so overlooked, why we don't really want him in the center of our lives, we got to ask, well, 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 who is he? <laughs> who is Jesus? It's a perpetual question. There are many diverse and sundry answers to just who Jesus is. That question is given about Jesus more than any other person has ever dawned and walked the face of the earth. Who is Jesus? Even during his earthly life, Christ's very physical presence and at the point of him coming into the earth, there was extraordinary controversy and debate in just who Jesus really is. It's been estimated that of all the people that ever lived on the face of the earth and civilization, that number will come to approximately 60 billion people down throughout the ages that have walked planet earth. Of those 60 billion people who have walked planet earth, only a handful have ever made a real lasting impression and actually brought about any significant change in the world that we live in. Yet in that handful of people, there is one who stands out above and beyond all of them and his name is Jesus. More attention has been given to Jesus, more adoration more devotion has been given to him. More criticism has been given to him. More opposition has been given to him than any, not only one person, but people combined in this world. Every recorded word that he said has been more sifted, more analyzed, more scrutinized, and debated. Every word, more than all of the historians, the philosophers, and scientists put together. Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, and after 2,000 years, there's not one minute that goes by on earth that millions are still not studying the words of Jesus Christ. 
I want us to think about it. I want us to think long and hard about it. Here's a person who lives in a minuscule village 2,000 years ago. And yet his birth divides the centuries. A.D. and B.C. Before Christ and Adonai. Which is Latin simply means the year of our Lord. And I ask this question again. Who is Jesus? Some said he was God. Others said he was demon possessed. Some said he was a good teacher and others called him a liar. Some said that he was brilliant and there were others who said he was a lunatic. Some said, uh, some uh, applauded him as a great prophet and yet others dismissed him as a gibbering blasphemer. Who is this Jesus? Who is this that was born of a virgin in Bethlehem of Judea and raised in Nazareth of Galilee? Who is this at the age of 12 walked into the temple and confounded the wise men and grew in stature and wisdom? Who is this who turned simple H2O into Chardonnay at a wedding reception? Who is this that caused veteran fishermen to sell their boats and hang up their nets and walk away from lucrative positions? Who is he, church? Who is this who caused a tax collector to close down his office permanently? Would leave all to walk with Jesus for three and a half years. Who is it? Who is this that a successful businessman wearing a three-piece suit and alligator shoes would climb up in a tree in the middle of the day just to get a glimpse of him? Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that can cause the lame to walk? Unstop deaf ears. Restore sight to the blind. Cleanse diseased lepers. Heal a hemorrhaging woman by simply touching the hem of his garment. Cast out demons. Walk on water. And even raise the dead. I ask you this morning, who is this Jesus? Even the disciples asked the question in the middle of a hurricane. What kind of man is this? That even the winds obey him. Who is this that is tried before Pontius Pilate in a courtroom on trumped up charges, found innocent of all crimes, yet received 39 lashes from an executioner? Who is this church who carried his own cross beams of Golgotha's heels and was murdered, crucified between two thieves by Roman soldiers? Who is he? Who is this that was buried in Joseph's tomb and rose again on the third day? Who is this that is sitting down on the right hand of the Father and yet interceding on our behalf today? Who is this who holds all things by the power of his word? They call his name Jesus. Who is he? It seems like everybody knows Jesus. There's no one who has received more notoriety than Jesus. As a matter of fact, all the major religions believe in Jesus. They can't get around him. (laughs) I mean, what do you do with him? Islam believes in Jesus. They teach that Jesus was a good prophet and a good teacher, but Muhammad is the last and the greatest of prophets. 
Yet, interesting though, Jesus never mentioned Muhammad's name. Neither did any of the Old Testament prophets or the New Testament apostles. They never mentioned his name. Jesus never said, there's a prophet coming after me that's greater than I am. They believe in him, but they don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe that he's the son of God. They don't believe that he died on the cross for our sins. But they still believe in him and they had to figure out, what do we do with Jesus? Hindus, they, they believe in Jesus. <laughs> they, they, they believe that Jesus was a, was a holy man, a, a wise teacher. But they believe that Jesus was a God among gods. He's not a supreme or a superior God. They're not monotheistic in their belief that there's only one true God. But even today, Hindus had to figure out what do we do with Jesus, we can't get around him, so we have to include him. Buddhists and Buddhism, they believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus was an enlightened man, a wise teacher, self-sacrificing. But they don't believe that he was divine or that he was a god. But they still have to figure out, what do we do with him? You can't. Just not mention his name as if he didn't exist and he doesn't exist. So they had to write him in the script. Judaism. Jews believe in Jesus. They believe that he was born to a woman named Mary in Bethlehem of Judea. They believe that he was a great teacher. They believe that he did and performed miracles, but that his power came from the devil. They believe that he was crucified, but they don't believe that he was raised from the grave. Instead, they believe that the gardener stole his body. 2,000 years ago, they're still searching the tombs looking for the body of Jesus. Could it be they're looking in all the wrong places? Because if you're raised from the dead, why do you go back to the graveyard looking for the dead? But even the Jews couldn't deny him. They had to figure out, what do we do with them? Jehovah's Witness, when they knock on your door, they'll tell you, we believe in Jesus. They too had to figure out what to do with them. They believed that Jesus existed before the world began as Michael the archangel. I never read that in the Bible. They believe that he's God, but he's the lesser God. They don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that Jesus took upon human flesh, but he was a mere human and not divine. They couldn't deny Jesus, but they had to still figure out what do we do with him. So they had to write his name in the watchtower. (laughs) Put a picture of him and tell people, Yes, we believe in Jesus. The black Israelites and Hebrews, y'all want me to keep going? Y'all want to have a study in apologetics and comparative religions? They believe in Jesus, absolutely. They believe in Yeshua. But they don't believe that Jesus is God. But he is a noteworthy prophet. (laughs) But he's a mere man. They do believe that Jesus came to fulfill the law, but he's not the fulfillment of the law. 
<laughs> they believe that Jesus came to teach us how to walk morally upright. But they don't believe that he is the completion of the law or, i.e., our salvation. So the black Muslim and Israelites, not only did they paint him black, but now they believe that we have to do something with them. So they painted him black, gave him a jerry curl of dreads, said, but he's not God, but we can't deny his existence. Church, I don't know if you know it, but even Satan and demons believe in Jesus. Not only that, but they believe that Jesus is God. James 2.19, James said it this way. You believe that God is one, that God is, that includes Christ and the Holy, that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe, and this is what James says, and they tremble. They shudder. They are in awe of Jesus if he was a mere man, you don't have to shudder, shudder. You don't have to tremble. You don't have to be in awe of who he is. Demon possessed man in the graveyard. When Jesus and his disciples met this man, there were a legion of demons inside of him. And one of the demons cried out when he noticed Jesus and noticed that he wasn't like the other disciple. He didn't call, the demon didn't call out Peter's name and John's name and, no, no, no. He, he said to Jesus, shouting with a loud voice, the text says, what business do you have with us? Jesus, the son of the most high God. I say it again. Even demons believe in Jesus and believe that he's God, but what are they going to do with him? So the key is not, do you believe in Jesus? But what do you believe about Jesus? You ask people today, do you believe in Jesus? Just about everybody believe in Jesus. Especially if you're black. If you don't believe in Jesus, they're going to throw you out of the family. What do you believe about Jesus? That's the question to ask. But Jesus himself asked his own disciple this very direct question. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? What have people been saying about me in the streets? Disciples say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, raised, some say, excuse me, you're John the Baptist, or that you're Elijah or some other prophet like Jeremiah. He said, that's interesting. That's, that's what they say? Yeah. They say, you're prophet, good teacher. Oh, okay. Jesus brought that thing on home and said, now who do you say that I am? We're done with the survey on the outside, but who do you say I am on the inside? The text says there's only one who actually spoke up because it was only one who was given this divine insight. You know it was my boy Pete. He normally has an answer for everything, but most of the time is wrong. But this time, ding, 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 he got it right. But he got it right because the answer didn't come from Peter. Jesus says this answer came from God the Father. Peter said, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus looked at Peter and said, bro, I know that answer didn't come from you. You couldn't even cheat and get that answer. That answer came straight from heaven. It's not revealed, Jesus said, by flesh and blood. Stay with me. This is the reason why a lot of folk don't know Jesus. Christ has to be, the identity of Christ has to be revealed supernaturally to us by the Father. He selects who he wants to know who his son is. If you want to know him, he'll show you. So in other words, Jesus said, Peter, the only way you really know who I am and come up with that answer is by divine illumination and revelation. Because I am a deep, deep, deep mystery. I'm going to say it again. The only way any of us will know for sure who Jesus is is if God the Father allows us to see who Jesus is. Jesus said it this way to his disciples in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 13. He was teaching in parables. Remember that? And uh, and uh, he was uncovering mysteries in parabolic form. And then Jesus said to his disciples about the crowd or the multitude that heard the same parables. But when Jesus told a story, listen to me carefully. The multitude heard one thing about the meeting, the meaning of it, but his immediate disciples heard something totally different. And this is the reason why Jesus said, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. They got eyes, but they can't see what you see. They have ears, but they don't hear what you hear. They can comprehend. They have intellect, but they don't understand what you understand because God the Father has bestowed with upon you and inside of you supernaturally the ability to not only know what who I am but what I'm doing and the mysteries concerning the kingdom of God (laughs) but there's two types of knowing Jesus knowing God Romans 121 Paul says although they knew God But they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. The world knows God. Because the same Paul in that same chapter say, but the the invisible attributes of God has been made visible through his creation as well as through human conscience. We all know God because we know right from wrong on the inside. You say, well, not everybody knows right from wrong. Okay, all right. Why is when people still take stuff that don't belong to them, they do it behind closed doors? And why is it that when you ask them, did you steal it? They say, no, I didn't come up with a lie. Everybody knows right from wrong. When the police pull you over, I don't care if you thought you were doing the speed limit. Your first question is, what did I do? If it's not, are you going to shoot me? But anyway, what did I do? Law enforcement officer is good. I'm just looking at that day and time. They know God because when you look up in the sky, you got to know that man didn't create this. They know God through consciousness of right and wrong. There is a moral code and law given by God that is placed inside of every individual. 
But he says, although they know God, they still deny him and don't recognize him. They don't acknowledge him as God, i.e. they don't worship him. They don't honor him as God and they don't give him thanks as God. So in other words, there are those who have a general knowledge of God and then there are those who have spiritual illumination of who God or Christ is because God has granted that. Paul, one who persecuted and even killed Christians, vehemently denied and didn't believe in Jesus Christ. And that is until after his eyes were opened and his Damascus Road conversion and experience. Then Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians 1.15 and said, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image. Now, don't get that wrong now. Because a lot of us believe that he's the image of the invisible God. And we say that he's a carbon copy. He's a reproduction of God. He's a lookalike. He's a copycat. No, when he says he is invisible image, he says that when you see him, you see God. He is the exact representation of the divine nature of God. God's nature in human flesh. Even Jesus himself said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Origen, second century African theologian, scholar from Alexandria. That's Egypt. That's Egypt is Africa. Y'all know that, right? He asked the question, what good does it to me if Christ was born in Bethlehem once, if he's not born again in my heart through faith? What good is it if Christ was born in Bethlehem once? That's a great story. Makes great decorations. Makes great Christmas cards. Make great songwriting and caroling. But what good is it if he's not born again? In my heart. <laughs> now that you know him. I knew that you already knew him. But now that you know him. Now the question is as we close. So what are you going to do with Jesus? <laughs> we go back to the main text. And in Matthew 27. 22 to 23. Pilate again said to the crowd. He said to this Jewish audience. Particular religious leaders up front. What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What am I going to do with him? What am I supposed to do with him? I can't keep him locked up. What am I going to do with him? I can't keep him at bay. What am I, I can't take him to Rome. He's not a Roman citizen. What am I going to do with him? They said, crucify him. And the governor said, why? What evil has he done? What has he done to you? What crimes have he committed? And they crucified an innocent man. And a lot of folk today are like Pilate. They don't want to make the decision themselves. They want to follow the crowd. And following the crowd, not going against the grain, but floating with the current. Still doesn't get us out of making a decision of what we're going to do with Christ. If we say that we believe in Jesus, it's different than just saying that we believe that he exists. 
It's different if you say that you believe in Jesus. It's different than just saying that even he was born of a virgin 2,000 years ago. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea. It's, it's, it's even different than saying that he's God and that he died on the cross. I say it's different if you say, I believe in Jesus. Now, those are historical facts about Jesus. Those are biblical facts about who Jesus is. But when you say, I believe in Jesus... That is what determines what we're going to do with him. Was Luke right when he penned in Acts chapter 17 verse 22, 28 the words the apostle Paul, he said for in him. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. For in him. For in him. For in him. If, if we're in him, then we realize, then we realize, we acknowledge that we live we move and have our being if you're in him. That everything about me, everything that I do, everything that I think, every breath that I breathe, every molecule about my body, every skin cell, everything about me is because of him. And I live my life like that in him because I know who he is. I am in him and he is in me. So therefore I live. I'm not just breathing but I live. I just don't exist but I live. And I move about. Because of him. Paul said it's like many of the poets have said, the secular poets of this world, for we are his offspring, we are his children. It's easy to say that I receive Jesus into my life. But the question is, as what? You received him as what? Did you receive him so he could pay your bills? Did you receive him so he'll get you out of trouble again? Did you receive him so uh, he will block your haters? Because that's what we hear in church today. Did you receive him to heal you of your physical sickness and illness? Did you receive him in your life because heaven was a better alternative than hell? So you weren't looking for a soul assurance, but you were looking for a fire insurance policy. Did you receive Jesus in your life because this is what your family has done and this is how they talk. And so therefore, born into that family, raising their family, you say the same thing. But what do you mean when you say, I receive Jesus into my life? You gotta ask yourself that question. What does it mean to be in Christ and Christ in us? Some say, well, I believe in Jesus. That's great. I'm going to say it again. Even the devil believes. But what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he is God? Do you believe that he is the way? The truth and the life. In other words, there is no such thing as life outside of Christ. That Christ is not one way out of several choices of ways to God. But he is the way. 
absolutely, inclusively, exclusively, He is the way, and He is, nah, it's not a matter of opinion, it's not a matter of perspective, He is the only truth and absolute truth. So here, here's what I believe. I'm, I'm, about to, I'm, I'm about to close. I'm, I'm really about done now. Here's what I believe. Here's, here's, here's what I believe is the true litmus test of whether or not you're in Christ or you're just into Christ. There's a difference. Whether you're in Christ or he just happens to be the popular fad and he's working for your good right now. He's giving you favor. Jesus said in John 6.35 these words. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never thirst or hunger rather. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. It sounds simple as elementary, but it's deep. He said, I am the bread of life. I, I know what you're looking for. I'm, I know your hunger. I know your appetite. I know your desires. I know your deepest need. I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger. And those who believe, listen to that. Those who believe in me, not about me, but believe, put their trust in me, they will never go thirsty. Living bread. Living water. Let me hone in on that water for a while. Is that all right? Thank you. I appreciate it. Jesus goes to Samaria when everybody else, the Jews, had gone around Samaria because of racial prejudice. Jesus said, I ain't going around it, I'm going through it. Because I got a date with somebody in Samaria. So Jesus sits on top of Jacob's well. A well of water sitting on top of a well of water. And here comes his date, a Samaritan woman who had been trashed out, dogged out, kicked to the side. She's so thirsty. Her soul is parched. She's been going everywhere trying to find living bread and living water. From this man to this man and this house to this house. Now our integrity is compromised. And in the inopportune time of the day, when she knows all the other women that won't be there at the, the well, she comes to draw water. But she's thirstier than she realizes, and her thirst comes from a different dry spot. It's a soulish thirst. Jesus told the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, John 14. If you knew the gift of God 
I said, if you knew him. <laughs> that, that's, that's where it starts, is our ignorance. If you knew the gift of God, if, if you really know, know who it is who says to you, give me a drink. If you really know who I am, you would have asked me. And the great thing about it, Jesus says, and girl, I would have given you a drink. I would have given you a drink of a lifetime. Now that's a line, brothers, if you ain't married, you want to use as a pickup. Girl, you're fine, but you look thirsty. <laughs> I'm glad I'm married. Happily married. <laughs> look like you can use a drink. I know you drank from this cup and that cup. But if you knew who it was that was offering you this drink, you would have said, man, give it to me. If you really knew who I was, you would have asked me, and I would have given you water, but not from Jacob's well, but from my own well, living water, springing up to everlasting life. (laughs) Jesus makes a promise to this woman. I know what you want. I know what you need. I've seen something that only other people can't see and distinguish about you and your thirst, but even you don't even recognize. Jesus gives her this promise. John 4, 13. He says, whoever drinks of this water, they will thirst again. You drink of this natural water, you will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, whoever, notice, if you come to me and eat, if you, listen, believe in me and drink, you will never, ever thirst again. You will never, ever, your soul will be satisfied. Got some thirsty souls in here. And I ask you, are you drinking this living water? Let me ask it another way. Are you content in life? Are you totally satisfied? Let me ask it another way. Do you have genuine Joy, regardless of your circumstances. Let me ask you another way. Is there peace beyond explanation running warm in your veins? Let me ask it the ultimate way. Does your heart beat passionately for Jesus Christ above All of us. What are you searching for? 
What are you searching for? We're moving. We're constantly moving. Searching, moving. Think about it. We move from job to job. Then we realize it ain't the job. Career to career, but it's not the career. We even move from church to church. And hopefully you come to the place where it's really not the church. From friendship to friendship. And it really ain't about your bad friend. We move from lover to lover. Wardrobe to wardrobe. Wig to wig. House to house. Car to car. From one partner of intimacy to another. We even move to intimacy on the computer screen. And nothing seems to satisfy you. Moving. Because we're thirsty. And the reason why we're thirsty is because we need to check our identity in Christ. If there's any sermon you need to hear in closing out this year, before you go to another year, it ain't a sermon about how bad 2019 was, but God's going to bless you next year. You need to have 2020 spiritual vision. That sounds good. But the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus in 2020? Well, stop and ask yourself the question, what did you do with them in 2019? Because you can be in a new house, a new car, and a new business in 2020 and still not be in Jesus. Just because he blessed you don't mean that you're in him and he's in you. I'm going to say it again. You're just into him. You love his hands, but you can't stand to see his face. We need to check our identity in Christ. We move, we move unsettled. We move. We're restless because we have no identity in Christ or we may be saved, but we've lost our identity in Christ. So our soul's not satisfied. So you, so you feel like if I could just, just have this. If I could just have her. If I could just have him. If I could, but only have. And then after you get all of those things, you realize all of those things is just all you have. But you're still hungry and thirsty. So we keep searching and the more we search, the thirstier we get. (laughs) Now we are drinking. But we're drinking Kool-Aid. We drink the Kool-Aid of sex, but we still don't have love. We drink the Kool-Aid of this world's idea of success. We drink the Kool-Aid of achievement and accomplishment. We, we drink the Kool-Aid that if I could, if I could just be better than everybody else, live a moral life, that's the Kool-Aid of self-righteousness. Kool-Aid. If you notice about Kool-Aid, the more you drink, the thirstier you get. I know we got a bunch of soda drinkers in here and vitamin water folks. But I was raised on Kool-Aid. Red Kool-Aid to be specific. And did that make it different? You put one cup of sugar or two cups of sugar in there. You still, after you drink it, every time you drink it, you still gonna be thirsty. Yes, 
You can't afford to go into another year passing up on this living water. Now, now here's what I noticed. Here's what I noticed. Let's just go ahead and settle this church business. Let's go ahead and settle this church business. Here's what I've noticed. There's a lot of people who can tell you where to find this living water. They're standing by the well, but they never drink from it. Sing about it, preach about it, witness about it. They tell everybody else how to have their thirst quenched. But they themselves at best take a sip, but they've never drank. They've never indulged in Christ. They've never been baptized in Christ. They've never been immersed in Christ. They've never been saturated in Christ. That living well of water, that bread of life springing up into everlasting joy in life. I'm done. But I just need to say one more thing. Some of you are saying, well, I've drank from this well of living water. I've eaten from this bread of life. But every day I'm still hungry and thirsty. You're absolutely right. (laughs) What I'm looking at the word of God and determined throughout life is now after drinking from this well of living water, we still wake up every morning. With these soul cravings, craving for love, craving for significance, craving for security, craving for sensuality, craving for purpose. We still have a soulish itch that needs to be scratched every single day we wake up. And yet our carnal nature, our sinful nature, always try to lead these parched souls to that cup of Kool-Aid. But when you have really drank, there's living water. When you have really eaten of this living, of this living bread, the hunger and thirst does not go away. But you come to the realization, but nothing else will satisfy me like he has. So I choose, I choose not to drink Kool-Aid. I know it's rough on you, but I choose to drink from the living one, not to sip. But I'm going in head first. There's always going to be something else, somebody else, some other idea, something different. And when you try all of that, if you've truly drank and ate from this well of water and that bread of life, you come back again. So it's not because necessarily we haven't drank, but because we have drank and we know just how good he is. This is where faith in Christ, walking by faith comes in. There's a difference between a constant moving in this life by faith in Christ and a constant moving in this life by frustration because of thirst. I'm closing. 
You, you can look at the word of God. We can sing the songs of praise about God. But even when we go beyond what history teaches us about Jesus, when we go even beyond what the Bible teaches us about Jesus, beyond what songs have been written about him, beyond the churches that are dotted all over the world bearing his name, beyond all of that, you might just want to stop and ask somebody, what has Jesus done for you? Who saved you from your sin? Who delivered you from darkness? Who gave you peace beyond understanding? Who is this who gave you comfort in the midnight hour? Who is this who was a friend when you were friendless and everybody turned their back on you? What's the name of this way maker, burden bearer, heavy load shower? Who's been your bread of life? Who's been your living water? Sometimes folks just need to stop and ask somebody else. What does Jesus really mean to you? Because sometimes we have to just ask ourselves the question. If you really want to know what he, if he's real and what you ought to do with him, ask, what has he done for you? I know I'm a changed man. I ain't perfect, but I know I'm a changed man. And I know Calvin Redmond didn't change me and transform me who I am today. You need to look at yourself. Go back five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years. Might only go back just five minutes ago and say, listen, I remember the person I used to be, but I ain't that person anymore. And it's not because of the historical Jesus, but it's because of who he is inside of me. So what are you going to do with Jesus? It's a question that demands a decision. It's a question that demands action. It demands a decision. It demands action. You can't get around from this. It ain't a multiple choice question. Now, it's not A, B, C, D, or E, all the above, or none of the above. No. You got to ask, what am I going to do with Jesus? You can't call a friend for help. This is your question you got to answer this is more important most important question you will ever ask yourself this is beyond what college will I go to this is beyond what neighborhood will I live in this is beyond what does my retirement plan look like this is beyond will I get married and if so who will I be married to this question and the answer to this question won't just affect your today your tomorrow and the next 20 years it will have eternal effect and impact on your life forevermore what am I going to do Jesus restless thirsty hungry black theologian Augustine of Hippo He said it this way, because God has made us for himself. Our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. Because God has made us for himself. Our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. Let us pray. Lord, you are God alone. God, we thank you today, O oh Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, O oh Father, for recording the eternal record 
There's a record that when all heaven and earth pass away, the grass withers and flowers fade, the record will still hold true and certain that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray today, oh Father, if there's anybody that know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today, oh Father, they ask themselves the question, now what am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to, as I close out this year, it's not just what am I going to do with him in 2020, it's what am I going to do in the next five minutes, in the next six hours, what am I going to do with him on Monday of this weekend, on Tuesday, what am I going to do with Jesus throughout all eternity, because even when this life is over, oh God, we still have to face that question before Jesus, what am I going to do with you? But then it's too late. Does anybody here that don't know Christ as a Savior, I pray, oh Father, they surrender their hearts to you. Say, Lord, here I am. I'm lost. I agree with what you said about all of us. All of sinning comes short of your glory. But today, oh Father, I'm not turning over a new leaf. I'm turning over my heart to you. I want Christ to be preeminent first in my life in all things. Today I want him to be my savior, but I want him to be my Lord. Invite him into your heart. He won't disappoint you. For those of us who made a decision some time ago to trust Christ as our savior, we might want to ask ourselves the question today, so now where is he in our lives? Why, now what am I going to do with Jesus? <laughs> Will I bury him in a box? Will I keep him in a closed Bible on a nightstand? Will I wear him on a bumper sticker on a personalized license plate? Or will I allow him to take ownership of my life? Will I allow him to be Lord and Master? of my motives, of my dreams, of my desires, of my values. Make Jesus Lord in your life. Make a decision. Let's come to a place of repentance, confession and renewal, reconciliation. Lord, I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And amen.